Hi, and welcome back to the Wild EM podcast, where we are all about bringing you better care out there. Today, we are back with another journal club. So, if you believe not all studies have valid results, or if you believe the results from said studies may not apply to the patients that you are treating, or if you believe you can make a cervical spine protection collar out of a fleece jacket, then tune in for another Wild EM journal club. Today we are back at it, journal clubbing again. It's a beautiful spring day at the climbing crag. You and your partner get ready to warm up on your first route. You gear up with all your quick draws, gate facing inwards, the only acceptable way to climb, and you head out to the base of the route. But then, you hear a cry for help from the neighboring crag. You and your partner rapidly arrive on scene and assess the situation. A young climber is injured after taking a ground fall from 15 feet up. He's lying on the ground, awoke but confused. After your initial assessment, you conclude he has a traumatic brain injury, and he could definitely also have a cervical spine injury. So, should he be immobilized? And if so, how? To try and answer this question, the article we're going to look at today is called Improvised versus Standard Cervical Collar to Restrict Spine Motion in the Backcountry Environment. This was published by Dr. Porter and all in the Journal of Wilderness and Environment Medicine in 2019. This article starts by outlining that bad stuff happens in the outdoors and we don't always have all our fancy medical gear with us. One thing you may have though is your trusty cinchilla fleece jacket. Now, can other fleece jackets be used for this purpose as well? No, only the cinchilla. The objective of this study is therefore to see if an improvised collar with a fleece jacket would be non-inferior to a cervical collar in restricting spine motion. Another point worth mentioning here is the authors also highlight previous research has shown that a SAM splint can be molded into a suitable alternative to also restrict cervical spine motion. If you don't know how, be sure to check out that as well. All right. So just like last time, we are going to run down the PICO. Population. These were healthy volunteers, aged between 25 and 45 years old. Intervention. Cervical immobilization with a fleece jacket. Best option here is to check out the article yourself for the details, but essentially to do this, lay the jacket on the ground, arms apart, roll the collar and bottom part of the jacket to make a cushion at the same height of both arms, then apply this roll to the front of the patient's neck while both arms wrap around the patient's neck and finally are tucked into the collar again in the front of the patient's neck to keep them in place. Control. The control was the same patient, but this time with a D-Royal EMT collar. I didn't know this exact product, so I had to look it up, and it's the same type of collar as what we usually see our EMS crews using around here. Outcome. The outcome measured was motion of the cervical spine in flexion, extension, rotation, and lateral flexion. Each measurement was repeated three times and averaged out. All measurements were done by the same investigator. Comfort level between the two immobilizations were also assessed in the outcomes. Okay, on to the results. The improvised collar with a fleece jacket showed no statistically significant difference in the range of motion compared to a standard cervical collar. Hmm, let's discuss. First, this was a randomized study using each healthy volunteer as their own control. 
It is said to be randomized because each volunteer was randomized to either start out with the improvised caller or the EMT caller. This was not a blinded study for obvious reasons. At any time, both the volunteers and the research team could very well see what caller was in place. This is nonetheless important because as a volunteer in this study, you could probably deduce the improvised caller was being compared to the standard one. In these circumstances, participants may be tempted to react to what they think the researcher desires. This is called participant bias. In this case, this could mean moving less during range of motion testing while having the fleece collar. Note that the participant bias doesn't mean that participants are trying to falsify research and are bad people. It's more just a social desirability bias. Outcomes were all measured by the same investigator. The authors state that adding another investigator to do the measurements could add the issue of inter-rater reliability. Another way to explain this is by having always the same person do all the measurements. There's less chance that these measurements will differ from person to person or when comparing the fleece jacket to the standard cervical collar. Okay, brace yourselves, we're about to get nerdy. This study was a non-inferiority trial. This means that the study sets out to see if the proposed intervention is quote-unquote not much worse than the other option. In our study, this means that the fleece collar can be worse than the rigid cervical collar and still be considered non-inferior, as long as it is not so much more inferior that it crosses a pre-specified boundary of non-inferiority. This is called the non-inferiority margin. This brings us to the author's non-inferiority margin. Using statistical models, they selected 10 degrees as a non-inferiority threshold, meaning that the fleece collar could let the patient move up to a whole 10 degrees more than the rigid collar and still be considered quote-unquote non-inferior. Now if you ask me, that is a pretty big margin of non-inferiority when you consider that the mean flexion extension in the collars was about 13 degrees. Now, to complicate this further, it is very important to understand that if you reject the non-inferiority margin selected by the authors, meaning you think it was just too big, then you can't just look at the results and say, well, even though 10 degrees was the non-inferiority margin and I thought that that was way too big, the study found that there was a difference of only 1 degree between the collars, so we're all good. The reason this thinking does not work is the non-inferiority margin used by the authors is responsible for powering the study meaning figuring out how many patients need to be studied. So even if the result of the study is a difference of only one degree between the collars, the conclusion would still be that the fleece collar is non-inferior to the standard collar in that it may allow patients to move a full 10 degrees more than the rigid collar, but we are okay with that. Phew, conducting non-inferiority trials. I'd rather be outside climbing, am I right? Okay, so despite the non-inferiority margin being somewhat big in my opinion, let's move on to the next step. Can these results be applied to the patients that I am seeing? And there are a few issues here. First, these were all healthy, awake volunteers. So it would be fair to ask the question if the fleece jacket collar restricts movements just as well in the injured patient who maybe is unconscious with less muscle tone. Second, the neck motions were done by asking the patient to passively let their heads fall. So, Although the fleece collar was non-inferior in these circumstances, how would it fare against a standard cervical collar in the event of a pre-hospital extraction with potentially stronger movement forces if, say, an unfortunate event were to happen such as a rescuer slipping while trying to extract the patient? I thought it was an excellent idea here by the authors to include perceived comfort of the collar too, and no doubt the fleece collar was much more comfortable than the rigid collar. For anyone who's had the unfortunate experience of wearing one, you would definitely agree. 
Also, as mentioned by the investigators, in the wilderness setting, the rigid collar often just won't be there unless you're part of a professional rescue team, which is also a pretty good reason to use the fleece collar, provided that you do believe the results of this study. Last, I want to touch on potential negative side effects of using a fleece collar. Previous literature has shown that rigid cervical collars increase intracranial pressure and make airway interventions more difficult. Now, we will go over this fully on another episode, but the point that I want to make here is that the negative side effects of cervical spine immobilization were not tested here or were not looked at in this trial. So we do not know or we're not certain how using a fleece as an improvised cervical collar could potentially increase intracranial pressure or make airway interventions more difficult. Now, expanding on that last point, it is a fleece collar, so I don't think that the airway would be much more difficult to manage. But since the arms of the fleece collar are tucked around the neck and are binding around to keep the spine in a more secure position, this could definitely compress the vessels or other structures in the neck and increase intracranial pressure and maybe even furthermore than the rigid collars. The conclusion here is that we just don't know, but it's important to keep this in mind. Okay, let's wrap things up. The author's conclusions are, Unstable spinal trauma is an uncommon but potentially consequential injury. An improvised fleece jacket cervical collar may be able to be used as a substitute for a commercial cervical collar in these scenarios. After reviewing the article, my own conclusion would be that the very wide non-inferiority margin selected by the authors can't let us conclude that the fleece collar doesn't guard as well as a rigid collar against undesirable cervical motion. Furthermore, testing the collar on healthy volunteers who let their heads fall may not reproduce the conditions encountered in traumatized patients being extracted in the backcountry. Last and not least, the outcome studied here was not patient-oriented. What I mean by this is, if you tell your patient, hey, I'm going to strap this collar on you and it's going to limit your neck flexion to 13 degrees, he or she might ask you to leave the collar behind. Now, if you had said, hey, if I strap this collar on you, it will prevent you from suffering a potentially irreversible damage to your spinal cord? Well, now you have my attention. Because the objective of spinal immobilization is not to restrict neck motion, it's to prevent injury to our patients, and this should be the studied outcome. So, how good is spinal immobilization to achieve this? Sorry to leave you hanging, but that sounds like a topic for a future Wild EM podcast. Okay, there you have it. Journal Club number two in the books. So that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. And until next time, remember to keep your crampons in the ice. Mm-hmm.